Hello and welcome to the Leaders' Council podcast, the podcast for the people who run the country and the people who keep the country running. You join us on yet another overcast day here in the capital. I'm Matthew O'Neill, and today, as always, we ensure that we have a variety of distinct perspectives on leadership. First, we're joined by Joseph Bailey, founder and owner of The Quarter Cafe, a cafe by day and a pleasant, quirky, homestyle bistro in the evening located in Stoke-on-Trent. Joseph, hello. Hello there. Hi. Thank you for coming on the program today. Um, Now, normally we go straight over to the subject of leadership, but considering the ongoing COVID-19 outbreak, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you, how has this affected the Quarter Cafe? Um, it's been a, a very severe um, effect on the on the business. Um, alongside, I'm sure many many others similar to ourselves, um, it it resulted in full closure um, uh, just prior to the actual announcement of the government lockdown. We should be uh, we took the decision to do that a few days early, as we could see what was happening around the rest of Europe and different countries around the world, and we just felt it was the right thing to do. Um, for the safety of our uh, employees and the safety of the public. Um, however, in the last three weeks, we have started to trade again very differently. We've evolved the business um, into a different format, a different uh, service sector, uh, and we are slowly reintroducing ourselves back into the local business community. And do you think that this is going to have a long-term effect on your business, or do you think you'll be able to get back to the way you were before? Um, I think the whole situation is going to have a long-term effect. Um, I think there will be some huge positives out of that. Um, I think in any challenging situation, it makes you question um, question your own business, um, evolve it, um, and make improvements. Um, at the same time, uh, reverting back to what we were before, I just I think we are in a very different world. Um, and I think we will be looking at uh, a slow recovery process um, over the coming six to 12 months um, with a long-term view that maybe within 18 months, I believe that confidence within the public and the city centre um, and hopefully uh, the economy will have brought itself back to a buoyant place where um, the kind of freedom to spend and enjoy time with family, friends um, should hopefully uh, come back. But it is certainly going to be a very, very long and, and challenging journey. Well, let's uh, move on to the subject of leadership. I always like to start this part of the conversation off by asking the same simple question. What does the word leader mean to you? Um, The word leader, um, I think it's got so many meanings. It's all about the placement of where the the word and the term leader is used and and how it's needed. Um, I think looking at business, um, leader comes in very many forms, the type of business you have, the type of contact number of employees, the type of customers you have, the type of decisions you need to make um, are all influenced by what type of leader you are. Uh, Most importantly, um, there has to be a leader, I think, in any successful situation, but especially in business, there has to be somebody really driving forward um, business ideas, making those difficult decisions, um, kind of thinking of the creativity behind the improvements in your business and and also understanding how you can celebrate the successes as a leader to get the right um, amount of uh, of publicity and marketing around your business. So I I think uh, the leader, the word itself has uh, just a huge array um, of kind of meanings um, and is very much um, directed at the type of business um, you have. Um, And then you play to your strengths as a leader as how you kind of run that. How would you describe your personal leadership style? Um, personally, I'm very much, um, I, I lead by example. So I'm 
I, for me, it's really important that my employees and my customers see that I am the heart, the soul, the driver behind um, my business and anything that I do. Um, I think it's really important that as a figurehead, um, you are present there. Um, you you create that drive. Um, so for me, uh, the type of leader that I am, I'm, I'm very much what I would perhaps call a, a kinesthetic, very touchy-feely leader. Um, I like to be a part of everything. I like to know what's going on. I like to be very personable um, with both clients and, and with employees. I think it's really important that they see me as a human being. Um, but at the same time, it's about understanding there are lines to be drawn um, and at what points I need to do them uh, and have them in place to show that I am the leader. Um, so for me, I, I like to do uh, kind of two types of leadership. One is very soft skill driven um, and the other um, is about I, I really like to make critical decisions and I, I like to be at the, at the helm of all decision making um, around my business. Now, uh, we all know that leadership uh, doesn't develop in a vacuum. Let's go back to the beginning of your career when you first started out your working life. Did you have any experiences in in that early stage or any role models who shaped you as you are today? Um, I think in my, uh, through kind of education, um, I was heavily involved in in sport um, and I was uh, a successful athlete. Um, So I had those kind of skills to drive myself, to train hard, to compete, uh, to understand success and failure in the sporting arena. Um, and that kind of very much came from my father. He was a, a good sportsman and, again, also had his own um, business as well. So I kind of recognized early on in, in my kind of childhood that, that leadership and business um, and how it could relate to different parts of your life were, were really important. Um, then on leaving education and then my first role with, with, um, with Marks and Spencers, as a, I, I went filling shells whilst I was studying. Um, and then that formed a 12-year career where I worked my way through uh, their business right up to senior divisional um, positions. Um, and I think uh, throughout my leadership development, um, there was very much very many, many people um, who inspired me as a leader through different, very different departments in such big companies like that. It's, um, you get to see and do so many things from small high streets to big, big out of town um, arenas, you work in head office, you're working, I've worked a little bit through Europe as well for them in so many different departments through finance and uh, HR to commercial. Um, and I think throughout that time, as, as I was developing and growing up and alongside studying, um, the whole the whole view of leadership just came very natural to me. I think uh, it was instilled through my initial um, successes in sport and knowing you've got to have personal drive and there's always leaders within a group. Um, and then suddenly in the workplace, I was able to apply so many of those skills um, to working with very big teams of people to really small teams of people. Um, and it just kind of felt very natural for me personally. Um, and, and then that evolved through franchising in our next kind of career and then into independent business. So the leadership has really spanned a good 25 years of uh, both kind of practical um, experience with uh, with multinational company right the way through to my own franchise and independent business. Now, of course, uh, one of the most challenging aspects of leadership within business is what we used to call man management. Um, of course, when conflict arises, when you have those difficult situations like you have had at the beginning of the lockdown, um, how do you uh, go about resolving this conflict? 
Um, I think for me, the most important thing is to, to is to try and understand why the situation um, has occurred, um, what have been the the kind of steps and journey to that uh, difficult situation, whether it's one that's been created by an employee, one that's been created by an outside factor, um, whether it's something that's happened just due to an unfortunate situation. Um, and I think it's all very similar to um, about how you would go about assessing any difficult situation. It's about gathering the evidence. Um, <clears throat> for me, it's really important to listen to lots of um different pieces of information um, and putting that jigsaw together to really get the biggest and best picture of the situation so that then I can make critical decisions, um, sometimes difficult decisions, sometimes having those difficult conversations, um, or also, um, you know, supporting the, the individual through it, having seen the evidence that's all there, trying to understand why it happened. And, and you know, sometimes out of those difficult situations, you, you realise that, um, there, there are improvements that can be made um, and you can learn from them um, as well. So it's, it's always very difficult, but I just find that it's approaching it in a really fair um, and balanced manner, putting uh, at the start personal views aside and really looking at it as you would perhaps a legal case and trying to assess all the evidence and, and, and review the situation before you start making any kind of critical decisions around it. Um, it's never easy, um, but these things do have to happen. Um, in independent business compared to um, working for a, a multinational, um, it's very different because the structure and support network around you um, is, is, are very different. So the, the kind of expertise you can pull on um, from an independent point of view, you have to seek that. Um, but one of the things that, that I do really well is try to ask questions and ask support um, to make sure I'm making those, those decisions um, as, as I suppose correctly as I, I possibly can. Now, unfortunately, our time together has drawn to its close. But before I let you go, what does the next 12 months have in store for the Quarter Cafe? Um, well, we have, as a result of COVID-19, we have completely realigned our business to a delivery and takeaway service. And we have redesigned all of our technology and all of our systems. Um, and that actually is something we were looking to do prior to COVID. But due to the busyness and thankfully the success of the business, we never quite found the time to do it. Um, so I see us growing and evolving that side um, of the business um, alongside hopefully reintroducing um, our uh, our usual way of trade with actual physical customers in the building. Um, and we are also looking at um, more sites. Um, so we feel three years into the business, we kind of know it. Um, we know our format. We know our strengths. Um, we know the areas we, we can improve. And we know that we have an opportunity to outreach further around our community and city. We're a big city with um, with lots and lots of people. Um, and I think they are they clearly enjoyed what we provided the last three years. Um, so we're, we're looking um, and hopefully securing a second site to evolve. Uh, and we're looking to to work really inside our city centre to to really be part of the regrowth of of the economy. So we're uh, we're kind of developing a silent disco format um, so that we can tag on the uh, different types of entertainment that might suit slightly more socially distanced experiences. Um, we're just kind of keeping on our toes, um, and we're going to react and hopefully have the support of the government and the community to uh, to keep our business there uh, in the long run. And certainly for the next 12 months, it's going to be hard work, but hopefully exciting and, and, and fun at the same time. That's what we want to try and get back into our business is a little bit of fun. Well, Joseph, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on the program. We'll have to have you back on uh, to hear about how things continue to evolve at the Quarter Cafe. Joseph, thank you. Thank you. 
That was Joseph Bailey, founder and owner of the Quarter Cafe. And now, if you haven't heard it before, is Jonathan White's exclusive interview with Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, we're now joined, uh, though, by former England footballer and still the only man to score a hat-trick in a World Cup final, Sir Jeff Hurst. Uh, thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You're welcome. You're welcome. Good afternoon. Uh, and perhaps I should uh, start and get it over and done with. I know you must be bored with it and uh, you've probably been asked a thousand times. But when you got out for a duck playing for Essex, uh, Jeff, what was going through your head at the time? <laughs> well, of course, that's not one of the most asked questions I get. Oh, there, there are one or two people who are very familiar um, uh, who do Google me realise that I did uh, score nothing for Essex. Uh, for my only game for Essex first team when we played against Lancashire in Liverpool, a place called uh, uh, Egbert in, in, uh, in Liverpool, many, many years ago, 1962, I think that was. So I didn't, and, um, yes, I, I didn't really feel it at the time. It was lucky to be <laughs> playing, I guess, with one or two injuries. Um, but the problem that I had was, was really messing about between the two sports. That was very detrimental to me uh, over that period of time, mm. being stuck between the two sports. And I think uh, for those that uh, don't know, there's a there's a, another world that might exist where um, Sir Jeff Hurst was a, a first class cricketer and not perhaps a, a footballer. But um, whether it's business or cricket or or football, obviously the importance of leadership it can't be understated, no matter what form that comes in. When you were at West Ham, uh, Jeff, and when um, Ron Greenwood first uh, uh, came along, he made obviously some pretty radical changes. Was this a man that genuinely inspired confidence uh, the first time you'd meet him? Absolutely. I mean, he, he was simply a, a fantastic uh, coach or teacher, if you like, at the football. And uh, the, the quite always mentioned when we talk about Ron Greenwood, Harry Redknapp, who was played under him and has been very successful as a player and, and the manager over many, many, many years. He and He's come across many coaches, of course, and managers during his time over years, I guess he would still say that Ron Greenwood is the best coach he had worked with, he'd worked with. So you're very fortunate. I think you think you're lucky when you come across if you have a great teacher at school and a great coach as we had in Ron Greenwood and, of course, a great manager in South Ramsey. So to come across people like that of that calibre can have a huge influence on your your career, of course, and, and then your life. And that's, that's quite purely the case. Absolutely. And in those early days um, at West Ham, uh, with, with a manager like, like uh, Ron uh, there, it's also important to have uh, uh, confidence with your other players. And of course, they become your friends. Who did you look at to at the time uh, when to inspire confidence in yourself? Was it more? Was it Peter's? I think probably, well, I was very fortunate to play with the calibre of the players I did. Again, again, extremely fortunate to play with you know, the captain um, of England and West Ham and Martin Peters, who was a fantastic player. And some, as far as Martin's concerned, I think sometimes he didn't quite get the uh, recognition he deserved. And what a wonderful player he was. In terms of inspiring confidence, I always probably say that the biggest influence uh, for me, I guess, would be the captain, Bob Noor. Although he was only... Uh, about eight months older than me, he graduated through the system probably three or four years earlier. He played for England in 62, four years before the final when I played. And so he, he was more 
looks upon him more as a senior player, if you like, not as a, a guy in the same age group as me. And I looked at how he how he uh, trained, how he acted, how he behaved, and how he played. And so he he would say, I would also say he was a big influence on me. One thing I would say about leadership, uh, well, I do I do understand clearly all walks of life. Leadership is at the top is absolutely vital for a, a for a business. Mm-hmm football team in any walk of life to be successful and it's quite evident I was in the motor trade for a long time as well selling car warranties to car dealerships and you could almost tell when you walked into the business uh, in a, many of the car dealerships you could almost tell from the moment you walked in by initial reaction people came and welcomed you that the business was well run or conversely not well run at all and so I understand the, the, the value and quality of leadership. And that's why I'm very fortunate to be involved with my career in those early days with two, two great leaders in, in Ron Greenwood and, and Alf Ramsey. Absolutely. And um, since you've already uh, brought him up, uh, Jeff, I think it'd be remiss not to go a little bit further with that. But obviously, uh, after uh, at West Ham, your uh, plan came to the attention of uh, South Ramsey. Now, there's a man I'm sure when you walked into a room, you knew who was um, in charge. When it came to managing that England team, what was his style like, Jeff? Well, one thing, the first thing I say about Alf Ramsey, he's probably over my life the most powerful influence who had on me um, as a person. Um, mm. Naturally, it happens to an extent because he's got your whole career in his hand, whether he picks you for England or he doesn't pick you. It can have a great impact on your, <laughs> your career and of course your life. But yep. in that era, I was involved for six or seven years. He, it was quite clear who was the boss. He was quite very, very strict. Probably at a time, maybe overly strict, but at a time you probably wouldn't get necessarily get away with it in, in today's football because it's changed dramatically in how you deal with with players then and players now. But he was the most powerful man I came across, and very few people. And he, he was quite ruthless in getting people out who didn't want to be who didn't want to be part of a group, part of a team. It is important that if you've got a group of people, and that's in any walk of life, they're all singing off the same hymn sheet, and you don't have anybody that's griping or moaning about the system. And if you've got people like that in the organisation, one thing I have learned, and I've taken it on in my life, my family, you've got somebody in a group that doesn't want to be part of it, you you get them out. And Alf, I think, was was quite ruthless of that in his, in his staff. And I think that's one, thing I, one of the most serious ones I think I've learnt over a long period of time. And is there, do you think, uh, a, a specific moment, I'm sure there's probably dozens, but is there a specific moment, if you could uh, perhaps pick right now, that did show those uh, qualities in uh, Sir Alf so uh, sharply? Yes, I think for, for me, certainly... Um, I think there are instances of players who you thought would, would be in the team or certainly in the squad and surprising there were not. There was no necessary reason for it. But looking mm. back, I do think perhaps they were people that Alf didn't think wanted to be part of the group. Um, so that that's that for me. In terms of my personal view, I think that it looked prior to the um, World Cup that I was going to be playing... Um, in it, only a few games before I was I was playing and I played with Jimmy Greaves in the game against Yugoslavia only a couple of months before the final and it looked at that stage as if I was going to be 
be playing in, in the team. But in a couple of friendly games, more friendly games before the final in Poland and uh, Norway, I think in Denmark, mm. I didn't. I played two of the four games, and I probably didn't quite replicate my my form that I'd been showing at West Ham and in the early couple of games for England. And he he left me out in the first game of, of the World Cup against uh, Uruguay. He started off with Jimmy Green and Roger Allen, so mm. I, I had an impact of thinking I. At that stage, I like I was going to play and didn't start because of just a lack of form. I didn't play quite well enough to justify my position. And somewhat fortuitously, I only got back into it because of a, a nasty gash to shin um, on Jimmy Glee's leg. And I think what you've said there, uh, Jeff, actually does sum that up really well. And more than that, whilst it's important to have that someone in charge with those qualities, it's almost useless if there isn't a strong and unified team behind them. And there really must have been moments, maybe there weren't, but uh, let us know in that 66 competition, the prolonged pressure on all of you, you know, the weight of a nation, did it get to you? Oh, not for me personally, no. I I think, and I don't, uh, not for me, not for a second. I think Mm. I was just happy to be I'd be involved in the squad initially. Uh, not at all. I didn't. You're not aware of the magnitude of the occasion, really. Looking back, out, out. So I never really felt. People talk about pressure a lot, and it's there. And people, players talk about. People talk about it in life. I didn't really feel necessary to feel any great pressure pressure during the time I was there. And what is also important to say about Alf Ramsey, the people he, he left behind that were left in the squad after he moved one or two players out. The squad were uh, a, a bunch of very hard-nosed, professional, uh, top-quality people. And that was, again, the leadership that I'll show you. He got people in together that were very, very strong personally. Um, uh, and I think that was part of the success we had. We were very, I always describe our, our group as hard-nosed professionals. Uh, we had some great players, but overall, they were great hard-nosed professional players. Um, and great quality people who we've kept in contact with, you know, over the years. And Jeff, I've got to ask, and I'm I'm not making this up. I've genuinely heard that people do ask you whether or not you realised there were people on the pitch at that moment. I imagine you were busy on something else. Well, I, I did some theatre shows last year. They've gone fairly well, and we're going to do a series of uh, theatre shows. In fact, starting this week over the next uh, two or three months. And uh, at the end of the theatre shows, we have about 20 minutes where we uh, uh, allow the people in the audience to ask questions. And the, the, there's, I won't mention both. They're too long to talk about both questions. Um, one, the other one's a really stupid one. It's too long for me to tell you. It's absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> but the, the, the other ridiculous question I get asked, did I realise there were people on the pitch? And of course, I jokingly say, "Yes, I was just about to to shoot to score the goal, and I looked round, put my foot on the ball, and looked round for a little while, and said, oh dear, there are six or seven people running on the pitch.' So that uh, I've had been asked that once at one of the theatre shows. <laughs> so I joke and make a joke about that, and saying, "Yes, I put my foot on the ball and waited, but just had a, had a glance round, you know." Maybe it does prove there are things that such as stupid questions, really. Um, oh, yeah, there, are, there certainly are. I've got another one which I won't bore you with. It won't be too long to tell you. 
Uh, I was in a jersey or Channel Lines jersey or jersey two or three mm. years ago, and most stu- stupid, irrelevant questions that absolutely nothing to do with football whatsoever, which uh, was absolutely. But I can use that now because it, it is quite funny. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe another time then. But we. Um, uh, well, you want me, I, I can tell you if you want. You want. You got time. I can tell, I tell you if you want. Jeff, go on. Go. On. I think I'd be, it would be silly if I said no at this point. Okay, so I was uh, doing a. a at a dinner in, in the Channel Lines, three or four hundred people, black tie dinner, uh, guest of honor. Mm-hmm. And this occasion, I was speaking for about 20 minutes, then allowing uh, questions from the audience at the end of the evening. And there was usual football questions. And then all of a sudden, I heard somebody at the back who, who asked a question. I didn't quite hear what he said. He didn't have the microphone with him. So I said, I didn't hear what he said. Can you please give mm-hmm. this chap the microphone so I can hear clearly what he said? So the chap had the mic and he said, when a turtle loses its shell, is it naked or is it homeless? Right. <laughs> what, what a question. What a question. Uh, well, I think that would be in, definitely in the stupid category, wouldn't it? So we had a laugh about that. Is, uh, well, uh, and we, you've got to have a patient of a saint, I think, sometimes to put up with <laughs> well, things no, like I that. But then again, I found it amusing. I just found it amusing. In fact, some of the audience found it highly amusing as well. So it's... It, uh, um, and again, if you, put, if you can put up with my questions, you can probably put up with uh, anything. Um, <laughs> but there, there would have become a point, though, um, Jeff. I think um, you, you were a young man when see, this happened. When you must have realised that people, teammates, began looking at you for leadership. Um, is that something that occurred to you, or did you just realise that by by quick one way or the other? people actually begin to look up for you for inspiration? Well, possibly. That's never really struck me until you've actually mentioned it now, quite frankly. That's a new a new question. Mm. Does anybody look up to me? I'm sure perhaps uh, there are. There are people who pay you compliments of the fans of, of West Ham and uh, of Stoke and, of course, in, uh, England fans who... Um, I, I think probably... Yeah, it would be very immodest of me to to suggest I, I felt that somebody was looking to me for inspiration. Um, well, you, but, you don't but, have to, but I will. No, um, well, it, it's, it's okay for a third party to do it. Perhaps, um, perhaps that may have been the case over the years. Uh, people look at you, and um, uh, maybe uh, it has a, a helpful effect. Uh, but I do think you, you, how you behave and set examples on and off the pitch is people must realise that that's, that has an influence, how you react and behave mm. to, to situations on and off the field. Surely probably has an impact to younger players coming in into the team laterally. Um, yeah. And and with that, looking at um, uh, football today, uh, is there anybody that you think particularly on the field or the sidelines that strikes you as someone with... Um, those qualities that you could identify in a in a natural leader. Um, well, a player, current players, you mean? Oh, players, managers, anybody that uh, you look to today, really. Well, I think some of the outstanding. I think the, the, the best example about a, a leader and at the moment is is, is uh, Klopp at Liverpool. Mm. He has been absolutely fantastic to uh, acquire the players and get them to. 
their attitude is absolutely fantastic. They're great players, but there's more than just being good players in football. It's that a good player with a fantastic attitude and their willingness to work for each other and the team is absolutely outstanding. Hence these unbelievable results. There are, you know, and the great players not always succeed as, as individuals or probably even uh, certainly as a team if you haven't got the right attitude alongside it. And they're probably, and that, that comes through the leadership. That's not just luck. Absolutely. That's, that's absolutely leadership. He'd be the best example, of course, in, in football terms today. Uh, easily, easily. And of course, but going back not that long ago, Alex Ferguson, who just absolutely, mm. you've got to take him as the first example, but Klopp's only done this for a period of time, a short period of time. But if you look at the 25, 26, 27 years that Alex Ferguson did with Manchester United, and subsequently since he's gone, how they they are not doing so well. He's the best example of management I've seen. We've seen, we've probably ever seen, and I don't think anybody will see the light of that kind of leadership again. It's ast- absolutely astonishing, astonishing. And do you think? Could you imagine uh, Sir Alf or even Ron Greenwood managing teams today? Yes, I think so. I think yes, no, mm. no question at all. I think they, uh, Ron Greenwood. Yeah, the answer, straightforward answer, is yes. Um, good they, <laughs> the straightforward answer is yes. I can elaborate as much as you want, but the straight answer is absolutely categorically yes. Uh, and with um, and I know uh, if we could talk about this probably for the next hour or so, but um, I'm conscious of the um, time. Um, looking um, back uh, through your um, playing career, perhaps especially um, your time uh, for England. Who was it uh, that struck you more than anyone else on the pitch uh, that displayed qualities of not just leadership but uh, companionship and and level headedness that you think that have stuck with you all these years later? Well, I think we were very fortunate, and I wouldn't take any one player out. I think looking at so that, many. yeah, so many, and that's why we we're successful because we had so many. Um, showing all those qualities that you just mentioned uh, throughout the team, I think that that was outstanding, and uh, uh, and it's an opportunity to talk about uh, all of them in, in that breath. And there was nobody. And going back from an earlier earlier question for me, that um, all hard nosed professionals, good good teammates, mm. good socially, and that's why we kept in touch with each other on our golf days. Every year, uh, up until about five years ago, of course, with, with the uh, sadly dwindling yes. numbers, we we still got on. Our wives got on with, all together. All those years later, it didn't just finish after '66. That reunion, that camaraderie, that team spirit, mm. the, um, uh, getting on with each other, lasted for, for a long, long, long time. And I wouldn't and- when it, when you put those those questions and how you categorise those. I would pick every one of the 11 players um, who you put in that category that were like that. There was nobody else. They were all outstanding. And I think that was a big part. I can't stress how big a part that was. And I've said that many, many times for the success of the team. We have some great players. We have some great players, of course. But without the attitude alongside that, going back to an earlier question, 
you we wouldn't have been as uh, ultimately ultimately as successful. Exactly. Without that, you, the 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 whole will never be greater than the sum of its parts. But with it, yes, the word the word is team. The word is the word is team. Absolutely. And I always use the word team when I talk. Sometimes, you know, together, everyone achieves more, and that that's the same in any walk of life. That, that's fundamental. And uh, lastly, uh, Jeff, looking if if you were to uh, give advice, and whether this is in sport or business or indeed any other walk of life. What would you identify, if you can, as the key tenant uh, that you can't go without in terms of leading a team, no matter what that team is? Single-mindedness, uh, single-mindedness, dedication, dedication to the job. Um, thinking about that 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 role, that job in leadership all the time. It's a huge part of your life. But it, you, I don't think you can switch off. When you're in, in business at the top level or sport at the top level, you may, you know, have a, way, have a couple of weeks holiday. But I'm even sure if, if these top managers and lead, leaders in all walks of life are away on holiday on a beach somewhere warm, I'm sure there's not, uh, there's, they will not switch off for, for two weeks um, and completely uh, not think about their role as the boss of an organisation. And I think that's. You're completely focused. You're always thinking about uh, things, thinking about improvements, and it's just dedication and uh, uh, tuning your life to being successful. Excellent. Well, Jeff, on that point, thank you very much for joining us today. You're welcome. Very good to nice to have a talk about this and just go over this, go over the past and just uh, refresh my mem- my own memory about the quality of the players I grew up with. Excellent. Uh, another time, uh, it would be great to talk again. Thank, thank you, Jonathan. Thank you. This has been the Leaders' Council podcast. Thank you for celebrating excellence and leadership with us. I have been your host, Matthew O'Neill. Until next time, goodbye. Thank you for listening to our podcast. The views expressed within the podcast do not reflect the views of the Leaders' Council of Great Britain and Northern Ireland, its parent company or subsidiaries, members of staff, other guests, or any other person therein associated.